Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, William Perry Pinley, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America, which we've pretty much got those all solved. The issues are now just between people who think and people who don't think. One of the thinkers in my life that I've come across in recent times William Perry Penley, former director of the Bureau of Land Management, and uh, an, ator- an attorney standing up. Are there good attorneys, William? Oh, oh yeah, you bet. A lot of them, most of them in the nonprofit world, but you bet. <laughs> I got attorney jokes, but I'll probably just leave them at bay. You have been out you and bet. about. What, what have you been up to lately? I just got back, Trent, from speaking to the Western States Sheriff's Association in Reno. Uh, that's an organization of some uh, 17 state sheriffs. Uh, they gathered about 250 strong in Reno for their annual convention. And I was able to keynote the, their uh, convention there in Reno. I uh, got a standing ovation for my remarks. I was uh, just thrilled with it. And it's great to be there and to be able to back the blue. You know, we spent, I spent 70 days last summer with a group of people touring this country, 37 states we had events in, 57 events, and every single one of them we brought to the forefront the importance of the Constitution, and the Constitution says that there is so much that relies on that sheriff in the county for protecting the citizens of the county. Uh, We can't spend enough time talking about how we get back to that, William. Well, you're absolutely right. If we believe in law and order, if we believe in a civil society, uh, in fact, if we believe in civilization itself, then mm-hmm. we got a bad law enforcement. And uh, the Democrats are crazy about it. They uh, defund the police. I don't care what Joe Biden said at the State of the Union address. He's for defunding the police. He doesn't back the blue. And he hangs law enforcement out to dry whenever uh, they get exposed. Uh, for example, those... Uh, Customs and Border Protection agents who uh, were trying to round up those illegals on horseback. They got accused of using whips, and all of a sudden they're under investigation. And, and Biden himself said from the from the podium, those guys are going to pay. Oh, my gosh, what a terrible signal to send that you don't have the back of your law enforcement people are out there uh, on the thin blue line. You bring an interesting perspective to this because I had not even considered this when you and I decided that we need to do this conversation. But one area, I mean, it's easy in Morgan County, Colorado, because you pretty much have 100% deeded property. Everybody understands the role of the sheriff. I don't know if they do, but they should. You are the director of the Bureau of Land Management, where I think people get a little wonky on understanding where the role of the sheriff starts and stops in counties like White Pine County, Nevada, which is 90% federally owned, how does that all come right. a, come about with authority and jurisdiction as, a, as it relates to the sheriff? Well, when I was uh, with the Bureau of Land Management, uh, Trent, we had 212 law enforcement rangers. Those are uniformed dudes and 76 special agents. So we had about 300 law enforcement agents. But we had 245 million acres of federal land, primarily in the 11 western states and Alaska, to patrol. Well, Mm -hmm. that's about a million acres of ranger, and he or she can't do that. So 
she's got to, he's got to depend upon the local sheriff. He's got the highway patrol, the, the police. We had a situation, we had several when I was the director. Uh, we had the Colorado Highway Patrol put out an alert. There are a couple of banditos running across the southwestern corner of the state. Uh, a, a Bureau of Land Management ranger gave chase, and ultimately the bad guys were arrested by the local police in Cortez. Uh, we had a situation down in Mojave County, Arizona. The sheriff got a call from a family that followed their GPS instead of good sense into a snowdrift instead of a, a roadway and uh, got uh, put out a call for help. He called the park police. He called the Bureau of Land Management Ranger and our ranger around them. And then you probably remember this tragic story uh, a couple of years ago up in Billings, uh, American Indian teenager went missing near Billings, and we had all hands on deck. We had tribal, we had local, we had federal, we had um, the state uh, out there looking for that poor girl. And uh, so this is, this is the way it has to be. We had to work cooperatively. The first thing the Trump administration did when we got in was we reinstated these law enforcement agreements, these contracts that we had between the Bureau of Land Management and local law enforcement and the sheriff, Mm-hmm. so that we could work together, so we could support our local sheriff, and so we wouldn't duplicate our efforts. And we put that in place. Obama had killed it. Obama got rid of those agreements and uh, put himself at odds, of course, with local law enforcement. I imagine Biden's up to the same tricks. Yeah, it, it, law enforcement is just like food production or energy production. The more local we keep it, the better off everybody is. It's that simple. Yep, you uh, you know I'm uh, I, I'm taken by the fact that we've got a women's national basketball a basketball association player stuck in Moscow or some darn place, went into the country with drugs. She refuses to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, and uh, and now oh boy, now she's in trouble in Moscow, and she wants the United States of America to come to her rescue. She won't even salute our flag, but uh, when she wants uh, when she's in trouble with these uh, totalitarian regimes somewhere in the world, well, uh, come help me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way too many Americans are. You know, uh, they uh, they uh, don't support the law enforcement, uh, Democrats mostly. And then when, well, you look at all these Democrats, they're hiring on taxpayer tab, they're hiring private law enforcement. They want to cut law enforcement for us, uh, but boy, they're going to spend 70 thousand dollars a year for their own police help yeah well that's that's what we call the elite status what was your message to the 17 uh, states sheriff's association well my primary message was that they had to speak out because they are uh, frankly uh, you know i think what jefferson said the best government is the government closest to the people and uh, they are that uh, they're uh, tied in with the county commissioners. They're uh, where the rubber hits the road. And uh, President Biden, I was on your show talking about it. President Biden nominated a an unrepentant echo terrorist to be head of the Bureau of Land Management, Tracy Stone Manning. And a lot of trade associations and uh, Farm Bureau, uh, uh, stock growers, uh, uh, logging people, they all... Uh, they all refused to take a stand, but the Western States Sheriff's Association took a stand and said this person has no respect for the law and she should not be confirmed as director of the Bureau of Land Management. And 
it was a courageous stand, and I said, "You congratulations for doing that. You need to keep it up because so much is at risk. And uh, that was my message, that they continue to speak out on these issues. Uh, they had a meeting earlier this year with the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, uh, and they came away empty-handed, not surprisingly. But I said, just keep it up, keep the pressure on, and uh, let the American people know how the Biden administration is failing all of us. I can only imagine, William, the frustration as a former director trying to right the ship, so to speak, and then after the fact, what progress had been made in a four-year period of time, you sit here for a year and a half and watch it all just disintegrate. I can't imagine that position that you've been in. Well, it is really terrible, and I've had a number of people, and I'm on I'm on Twitter, uh, my, my Twitter handle, Sagebrush Rebel, and, uh, and a lot of people say, gee, I never thought it would be this bad. Gee, I didn't think he'd mess things up this, this uh, quickly. Oh, I didn't think he'd go this direction. Oh, heck, I knew. Uh, anybody who was paying any attention at all to the Democrats knew. And so the first day in, he kills Keystone XL Pipeline. He uh, stops oil and gas leasing. The federal law requires the federal government hold four leases every year, every quarter, on the federal lands, BLM lands and Forest Service lands. Um, the by, and So Biden put a stop to that. And then he puts all these crazy regulations on the oil patch to make it impossible to do the work. And so, uh, needless to say, we're, we're in a deep kettle of fish. We got runaway inflation. We got oil at the highest price ever in the history of our country and we got pain at the pump. We have pain not only at the pump, but of just about every walk of life, including the grocery store and then news today that the vitamin industry is going to go upside down because word out of Germany is the the manufacturing facility that produces 40% of the world's vitamins for animal feed and human use is going to shut its doors. Pain is coming your way. William Perry Penley, we are trying to prevent pain. A lot of peas involved. We'll be back with more after this. Once again today, reminding you that the opportunity for cattlemen in the Great Plains of America is to produce beef. Convert the cellulose material that covers most of 74% of the U.S. of the world's land mass as well as the U.S. land mass. These bovine critters turned it into nutrient-dense protein. That is what resource utilization is all about. But you, the producer, need to get paid properly. And that happens if you're part of the contract supply system for the certified Piedmontese outfit at Lone Creek Cattle Co. The Piedmontese bull sale will take place April the 9th, Broken Bow, Nebraska. Amanda Radke will be in on the evening of the 8th, the night before the bull sale, with the fellowship and wisdom. Get more details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com and see you in Broken Bow. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce, alongside William Perry Penley, former director of the Bureau of Land Management. Let me just uh, ask you a, a 34,000-foot question. There is a tremendous sure. number of problems in 33% of the land in the United States, which is owned by state and federal government. Part of that is in the Forest Service, and it's not all in the Department of Interior where the Bureau of Land Management resides. But from your point of view, how do we fix what has been screwed up for 200 years, really? And not, and what's, what's screwed up is that we don't, you, you kind of walked us into that path a little bit, but that, that land has so many resources that can provide opportunities that can improve human lives, that will improve the resource itself instead of just sitting there letting it burn. Uh, 
How do we start the fix? Well, the problems go back. You know, there was a time. There was a time when we were uh, nonpartisan in all of this. It was a total bipartisan effort in in developing the land. These dams that uh, we we rely on across the West were built by uh, largely Democrats, um, Democrats and Republicans, and they supported the use of land. Teddy Roosevelt, he was the great conservationist, but the word conservation doesn't mean lock it up. It means wise use. It means use it for its best purpose. And right, we have some wonderful recreation lands. We have park lands. We have wilderness areas that are locked up where you can't do nothing on them. But we also have lands that have great uh, timber resources. We have, uh, we greenlit, when I was with the Trump administration, a lithium mine in Nevada that will provide 25% of the world's lithium. That's the world's lithium, not U.S., the world's lithium. And the greens are trying to kill it. So there's great resources out there. We have tremendous oil and gas. When Obama stopped oil and gas leasing on federal lands, Trump restarted it. And in the fall of 2018, we had the largest oil and gas sale in the history of the Bureau of Land Management in New Mexico. We had a billion dollars in bonus bids came in. And a lot of people focus on, oh, a billion dollars in bonus bids, wonderful. Well, yeah, that's good. But what's really great is when somebody makes a discovery and then the, then the discoverer pays 12 and a half, 16 and two thirds percent royalty on all the gas and all the oil that's pumped. And as you know, Trent, half of that money goes back to the local government, goes back to the state and local government. My former boss, Cliff Hansen of Wyoming, he got that done. Previously, it did less than that, and he got it up to 50% the sharing. But we have to use the land. Jimmy Carter started this nonsense. Jimmy Carter, he he kissed up to these green groups, and what they if they said something, then he'd say if they said jump, he said how high, and he declared war on the West. Reagan reversed that. Uh, George Herman Walker Bush uh, became the so wanted to be the environmental president, and then Bill Clinton came in. He was worst. He locked up all those. Monument areas, then Obama came in, and, and Trump tried to reverse it all. But uh, uh, a lot of people who thought maybe Trump was a little <laughs> a little too uh, 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 up front and in your face, uh, they're now realizing he had it exactly right. He did. We, we've got to use these lands. You have counties. You know this. You, and you mentioned one in the, at the top. You have six, the counties have 60, 70, 80, 90 percent of the lands owned by the federal government. And if the federal government does not permit economic activity, the people in that county, they're toast. They can't provide for hospitals. They can't provide for schools. They can't provide for law enforcement. And the kids leave. Something that I've been echoing, and you just touched on it this week. I've been every broadcast I do, William, I, I remind people because most people don't know or they forgot. In 2018, starting in 2017, thanks to the Bakken oil reserves in North Dakota, Montana, and Canada, thanks to the oil uh, uh, exploration on the federal lands that you spoke of, we were energy oil dependent. We didn't rely on Russia. We didn't rely on the Middle East. We're, we're now talking about whether or not we stop buying oil from Russia. We're talking about do we enter negotiations with Venezuela. In 2018, we were selling oil to other countries because we had the resources. We were exploring, we were producing, and we were generating oil that we needed. 
And that all went away the first day of Biden's administration. And nobody's talking about he crippled our own ability to produce the oil that we need. We don't need another country. We just need a, an administration oh, I, that understands how to utilize what we have. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and this lie that uh, Patty is saying, uh, giving out from the podium in the White House that, oh, no, this all started with Putin's fault. This all started with Putin. No, it didn't. The price of uh, energy went up the day Biden took office because the people, the forecasters, looked at what he did the first day and said, whoa, Nelly, hold on. And uh, it's been going up ever since. Does anybody, does everybody remember that he released uh, oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve last fall? Uh, Because prices were going up. Russia done nothing. And prices are going up. We did achieve energy independence, and it all goes to what I call the fracking revolution. Fracking started in 1860. It really got going uh, hot and heavy in 1947. It's been really used since uh, for 60 years my uh, uh my friend the late mick mcmurray in wyoming uh worked said did had some worked over blm leases out near pinedale and he got the best people he could they used fracking and made the biggest gas discovery in the history of the country the jonah field and then that fracking started across the country the barnett the haynesville the fayetteville and then the marcellus up in pennsylvania uh, there was a time that seven out of every ten jobs in Pennsylvania were oil and gas jobs, not across the border in New York, because uh, Cuomo had outlawed fracking. But Pennsylvania was going hot and heavy, and we became... Uh, but out of that mix was, as you pointed out, well, were federal lands, because Obama wouldn't lease on federal lands. Trump came in, we leased on federal lands. We had that huge sale in uh, the fall of uh, 18 and then in 19 we became energy independent first time since 1957 62 years and here's the thing yeah it means we're energy independent yeah it means we have reliable fuel yeah it means we have energy at, at a reasonable cost so we don't have to decide between fuel and food but it also frees us geopolitically we can make decisions in the best interest of our country we can be America first and not worry, oh, that country gives us oil, sells us oil. We better be nice to them. No, we don't have to worry about it. We do what's in our own interest. And now here's Biden. Uh, you know, bending over and got his hat in his hand and he's going over to OPEC. Hell, the Saudis won't even talk to him. That's how low regard they have for him. They, they put in a call over there to the OPEC nations. Oh, please, will you meet with the president and talk to him about that? We don't want to talk to him. And we're going to go down to Putin's buddy down there in Latin America, Venezuela, and beg them for energy? Here's here's the question, Trent, for you and your listeners. How much must Biden hate us in the West that he would would prefer going hat in hand to Iran and OPEC and, and the Middle East and Venezuela to get oil instead of letting us loose and letting us produce energy here in the American West? He must hate us a ton. I actually don't think he hates the West. I think he hates America, what it stands for, what it is, and what creates opportunities, and that's what he's killing. But, William, you and I can agree on the problem. We need to focus on the solution. What do we do to fix it? Uh, I wish I knew. I mean, we, we, I've got friends in the oil packs. They're chomping at the bit to get out there. You know, they talk about peppermint patty, talks about, oh, they got all these leases out there. Well, 
yeah, it's great to have a lease, but you need a bunch of permits. Uh, and I was, we were, with the Trump administration, we were issuing those permits like crazy. We had a mandate to the BLM people, hey, we want you within 90 days to issue a permit. If somebody comes in with an APD application for permit to drill, you got to green light it, or you got, if you've got a problem, you got to say stop and, and rectify it, but no more delay because, oh, just we didn't get around to it. You get around to it, get it done. So we got people chomping at the bit to put units together to get that drill, to get those permits issued. Uh, we can we can turn this puppy around, but we have to have a green light. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you, Trent, but I'm sick to death of hearing these Republicans come on Tucker, come on Laura, come on Hannity and say, oh, woe is us, here's what's going on. Hey, fix it. You're in Washington, D.C. You, you know, you've got these Senate seats and these House seats. Stop, stop complaining and tell us what the problem is. We know what the problem is. We can see it. Why don't you fix it? You are either <laughs> part of the solution or you are the problem. We'll take a break. William Perry Finley, my guest. We're back with more after this. And now we talk about immune health. We talk about health in general. The world's authority on nitric oxide production, Dr. Nathan Bryan, explains. We've got about 14 COVID clinics around the U.S. where we have a, a nitric oxide drug trial going on. I'm exposed to COVID probably every day. You know, pre-COVID, we as humans are exposed to viruses and bacteria every day of our life. That's just the world we live in. Some people get sick, some people don't. Why do some people get sick and why do others not? It all boils down to their ability to generate nitric oxide and to have certain things replete in their body like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, selenium. If you're nutrient deficient, you're going to get sick. If you can't make nitric oxide, you're going to get sick. If you do all these things, you can be exposed to, to COVID or any other virus, and your immune system nips it in the bud, and you don't get sick from it. It's really that simple. We're going to change this ordering process up to make it simpler. Go to loosetailsmedia.com, loosetailsmedia.com. There will be an order mechanism there, and if you want more of the science, I'll get that to you from Dr. Nathan Bryan. Loosetailsmedia.com. It's N-O-2-U. The, the product's the same. The place you get it is different. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside William Perry Pinley. Well, he's at an undisclosed location in Colorado. I'm in Valley City, North Dakota where it just went above zero, it's all good. Sun's shining, it's going to be a great day. I'm headed to Mitchell today to visit with some folks about uh, soil health. Um, I want to come back to the other part of management because this this is a big thing for me. We've seen this trend for a long time. Uh, You know all about it being in the sagebrush rebellion. It's been in place a long time, and that is, I did the math, and, and there's a lot of estimation in these numbers, William Perry, as you well know, because of utilization of the forages and the resources. People drive through Nevada, and they say, my goodness, there's nothing out there. Well, that nothing, some sheep, some cows, can turn into something that you need, and it's called meat and essential nutrients from animals that consume black sage and turn it into to food. And so using my buddy Hank Vogler, who's on this program every Monday, we estimated the number of acres. You gave us um, the, the, is 11 million acres in the BLM. Well, the BLM has 245 million acres, yeah. 245 million acres and uh, or oh, 11 western states and I, I did the calculations on what an AUM could be and should be when managed properly and the BLM land alone 
should produce 110 million protein meals every year. Wow. And our, and our best estimate on what was taking place, and we did this a couple of years ago, and obviously this year you'd have to factor in drought, but those are all things. 110 million protein meals a year should come from the federally owned land, and we're at about 35 million. So we figure it's being underutilized by about a th- a, to the tune of two-thirds what it should be. It's only one-third utilized at its best optimal use. And what happens when you don't graze or log? We've seen that take place. And then they want to blame climate change for destruction of wildfires that have so much fuel that they destroy everything. And when, in fact, all we've ever asked for is just manage the resource properly. Implement proper conservation, like you said. Utilize it wisely and make it better. That's what we do. Well, you're absolutely right. And uh, the greatest, uh, the greatest conservationist, the greatest environmentalist. They don't call themselves this, but it's true. Is the logger or the miner or the rancher, the rancher whose family homesteaded these lands out here, and then pass them on generation after generation after generation. They. I've been with these people oh so many times over the past 30 years that I've been representing them in court all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, and their greatest dream is to pass on what they have to their children and grandchildren. And the only way to do that is to take care of it, and they do. They do. The land's in better shape than ever. The best water resources all across the Bureau of Land Management lands, for example, were put in there by ranchers and wildlife congregations. Uh, and so forth. So uh, these fires we had uh, last summer, the summer of 20, when I was there, horrific fires, biggest fires in the history of Colorado. What most people don't know is most of those fires were start caused by humans out of carelessness, out of arson, uh, out of just plain darn ignorance. Uh, and But the lands wouldn't burn the way they do, not because of global warming, but because we're not cutting trees, because we're not removing hazardous fuels, and because we're not allowing ranchers to go out there and graze and reduce the uh, uh, the load on the the load on the prairie, and that's that's the answer. And, and Trump was all over that. He issued executive orders saying cut the trees. He went out to California, met with Governor Newsom, hey, essentially said, hey, dummy, cut the trees. What's wrong with you? And then we were under orders at the Bureau of Land Management to reduce these hazardous fuels. And I'll tell you, the rank and file in the Bureau of Land Management was all for it. And they went out and we aggressively, we removed more hazardous fuels in the his, than in the history of the BLM. Uh, and it's a sight to behold. And uh, I'm afraid these crazies now, that Tracy Stone Manning and Secretary Halen, they're going to be, oh, climate change, climate change. No, no, no. Just take care of the land mm-hmm. and remove those hazardous fuels and you know, use the land uh, like uh, Congress intended. So I'm really interested in your response to this question. I'll just tell you straight up. Because for four years, we saw the Trump administration do what those of us closest to the land knew was most important for management. of the And, and you as a director and what was coming out of the Oval Office was all the right direction. But at the same time, the people closest to the land, the people that uh, have the land, uh, the easements and the allotments, utilizing the land had bureaucrats that had been stuffed into cracks through the administrations that are not all about utilizing the resource and managing it correctly. 
and they would put take the good initiatives that come from the director of the Bureau of Land Management and stall them, knowing that they just needed to buy time until they get beyond the Trump era, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The bureaucrats in the system are the problem in getting this turned around quickly. What do we do about that? Well, frankly, what you need is you need a president like Trump uh, to last more than four years uh, and to reelect. If uh, President Trump had been reelected, then we'd be in a lot different place than we are right now. Uh, I I believe we would have had a proper exit from Afghanistan. Uh, uh, Putin would not have gone into uh, Ukraine and we would be energy independent and prosperous Uh, and uh, but we don't. And so we just need to keep people in place. And we were ferreting out the people who were dragging their feet and not doing the right thing. We out, uh, we outlasted them. And we, 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 you know, I met every day with, with these people and we, we had initiatives that we were pushing. And where is this now? Where is this now? Where is this now? Get this done. We want this done. And the clock ran on us. Uh, if the clock had not ran on us, we would have gotten a, a, a lot more done. But uh, time is of the essence for these bureaucrats. I'll tell you candidly, uh, there's no sense of urgency whatsoever. Uh, they're they're going to get paid that day whether they get anything accomplished or not. If you're out there punching cattle and doing work on the prairie and uh, growing crops, if, if you don't get work done that day, then that's a wasted day and you're behind. But uh, so that's the answer, Trent. Um, and, and, and have support from the members of Congress. We did not have support from the members of Congress that we should have had. I'm building the wall, for mm. example. My job uh, on building the wall was to protect Bureau of Land Management lands. We had wilderness areas outside of San Diego where that the cartels and the coyotes and the criminals were using as uh, just a thoroughfare. We're supposed to go on there and protect the lands and be very, very careful, and I'm all for that. But here, you know, thousands and millions of people coming across, setting fires, tearing the place up, leaving trash. And so I said, yeah, let's get a wall there. And we greenlit a wall. And we, you know, we had to drag Congress kicking and screaming to write a check. President Trump had to go find money somewhere else because he didn't have the congressional support. Well, uh, that's the question we ought to ask some of these Republican members of Congress. Where the heck were you when President Trump was trying to get stuff done? Yeah, you know, I can be equally critical of Democrats, but quite honestly, the problem that we're in right now is because Republicans haven't stood by their conservative values to begin with and taken a stand for the right initiatives at the right time. They've been the problem, not the Democrats in my mind. Well, and, and also I did just slightly shift gears on this whole climate change nonsense. Mm-hmm. We're now discovering that it was just, uh, it was just a, a hoax. It was just a bunch of grifters lying to us about uh, global warming, global cooling, climate change, oh, we got to do this, and we have all these squishy rhino Republicans embracing it and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for solving climate change. Yeah, me too. Oh, well, that's a bunch of hooey. It's just a simple excuse, and we now see it for what it is. Drive up the price of energy, force us to get out of our cars. Those of us who are rich enough can transition to an uh, electric vehicle uh, and, and then shut down our highways and our right to travel when we want. You can tell me to get in an electric vehicle all you want. Where's the electricity going to come from? Because we've crippled the <laughs> electricity production. 
talk, I mean, the whole climate change hoax has been about controlling people, and, well, we're there now. So for those of you that fell prey to this, how do you like it? Because it isn't where we're going. We're going to get worse. You can't get... I was told by somebody who has not been wrong that by December, a barrel of oil will be $500 a barrel. Oh, my. Which equates to over $20 plus dollars a, a, a gallon for gas if it's available. Well, long before that, we're going to, we are going to have families that simply will not be able to drive to work. They will not be able to afford to go to work. And what happens then? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> how many families have chosen not to work in the last two years? I think therein lies the problem. <laughs> You're true there. Yeah. Uh, I want to finish up back on uh, the bureaucracy, and then we're going to be at a break, and we'll have the last segment. But uh, we now know that. Okay, I have to. I have to qualify this. Pre twenty twenty COVID, I had a real good handle that twenty four percent of the United States workforce worked for a government at some level. That includes school teachers. That includes county people, and that number continues to escalate in the number of people that work for government. Is that the biggest challenge that we have is trying to tell a fourth of the people in this country that you're part of the problem? We need to get you into the private sector and not work for the government? It sure seems like that because, uh, we, we, you know, we have a third of the country owned by the United States government. And in, in our future and what we're able to do economically and recreationally, is is controlled by people in Washington D.C. That's why the Trump administration moved the BLM senior leadership out of Washington D.C. and moved it out west. We put mm-hmm. the headquarters in Grand Junction, and uh, 99% of the land of the BLM is out west. 97% of the employees are out west, but the top people, the senior people, the decision makers, were all in Washington, and we moved them to Grand Junction, Colorado, and said, "You need to be out here living this life with us." If you're going to do things that affect us, you need to be here and and, and, and suffer the impact. Right. When the fire, when uh, the I, I, fire, William Perry Penley, we've got to take a break. I think that was a brilliant move when Sonny Purdue made that announcement for the USDA to move to Kansas City. I thought, plus, oh, this is perfect. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the final segment. William Perry Penley after this. I am headed to Mitchell, South Dakota today. And uh, going to be presenting for a group of individuals talking about soil health. What a time to talk about soil health in light of the fact that we're told that the minerals are not going to be, excuse me, not the minerals. Minerals come from the earth. Vitamins come from uh, manufacturing facilities that soon are closing down, it sounds like. At least the biggest one in the world. And then on Saturday, the Patriots United event. If you have not purchased your $20 ticket, you're going to want to be there. I, in the last two days, I've had a seven of the political candidates for state of Nebraska offices to contact me. They're going to come and speak. Kevin Jenkins is going to be there. Again, Amanda Radke is going to be there and Dr. Ted Fogarty. I got a feeling there's going to be some discussion Saturday in Norfolk, Nebraska about the hyperbaric chamber. What do you think? No doubt about it. I don't think we're going to stream it. you got to be in Norfolk. See you there. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose, ready for a red shirt Friday tomorrow. But today, we're going to live in the moment today. We're not dreaming about tomorrow. William Perry Penley, my guest. Uh, he just returned this week 
from the, I think you said Reno. You were in Reno with 17 states, Sheriff's Association, Western Sheriff's Association. That's right, the, the Western States Sheriff's Association. So you told me, uh, you told us what your message to them was. I always, as a speaker, acquire more information than I spew out. What did you get from them that, that has helped you prepare for the future? One of the things I heard from law enforcement was the difficulty of simply doing their job. And I was talking to one law enforcement officer, and he was talking about trying to execute a search warrant uh, with a warrant in, uh, say, Portland, Oregon, and the difficulty uh, of, of doing that and all, all the pitfalls that would expose him to civil and criminal liability and the fact that his bosses, uh, and the elected officials who were in charge did not did not support him. Mm. And you know he might do something and you know do it think he's doing the right thing, doing it for his safety, doing it for the safety of the people he's with, doing it to enforce the law. And all of a sudden he's uh, out of a job or he's on uh, he's on leave and uh, uh, facing going to court. You saw the tragedy that happened out of Minnesota with Officer Kim Potter. Unbelievable situation. And every every cop, every LEO that I know, every day is worried about that. What you know, will will I suddenly find myself uh, with my bosses not supporting me, and uh, my life being essentially over? Find myself in prison? Find myself unable to support my family? And uh, that's the message I had for the Rangers and special agents I worked for, right after the George Floyd thing broke. I got all our law enforcement officers together, and I told them all. I said, follow your training, do what's right, but I want you to know at the end of the day, I've got your back. And I heard back from so many of them saying, oh, gee, I've never heard that from a director. No director's ever said, I've got your back. And uh, and then through the summer of 2020, we saw it. And I was worried every day about them as we sent them into small towns to protect against riots, as we sent them to Washington to help the Park Service with the riots in our, among our monuments, and as they traveled every day alone uh, in the wide open spaces. So that's, you know, I, I just saw, I heard more and more instances of how the defund the police movement by the Democrats, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, have really crippled law enforcement and uh, made them fear, uh, fear for their lives and their futures and their families. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. Uh, clearly that you you got to know as a law enforcement that when you do the right thing somebody's going to stand there and say joe schmo did the right thing and then right. on the other side of the coin people who don't do the right thing there doesn't seem to be any any accountability and i'll just take the worst the most glaring example for me uh, as a guy named tony fauci who has continually told people to do things knowing that it's not going to be part of the solution and causing harm and people dying and paying hospitals tons of money for following a protocol that we know has a very little chance of success, but the hospital needs the money. And at the end of the day, it's the accountability, whatever it is, whether it's the management of the land. There should be accountability to the director of the BLM if you don't manage the land correctly and it causes these catastrophic fires destroying private property left and right. Where's the right. accountability? Exactly. Well, yeah, you, you have a great example of the, of the CDC and this uh, this doctor gal who's head of the CDC, Walensky. And she said the other day, well, 
yeah, we, we, we saw the numbers and uh, the, the drugs, the vaccine really wasn't that efficacious, but we wanted to be optimistic. Uh, a lawyer friend of mine pointed out, gee, if I were optimistic and telling clients, hey, I'm going to win your case. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 geez, write me a check because I'll win your case for you. You'd, that'd be malpractice. You'd be out of the practice of law. And yet we have Fauci and Walensky and all of them lying to us. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it with science that they, maybe you made a mistake. You made a miscalculation. But you come back and say, you know, on that day, I thought it was the right thing. I've changed my mind. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I, I think I'm right now. But there's never been any of that. It's like we're idiots and uh, for doubting them. And, in fact, worse than idiots, uh, we're threatened with losing our jobs. We're, we're losing our Twitter account, losing our ability to speak, being kicked, you know, uh, kicked out of civil society. Why did you choose to be an attorney? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be uh, I was thinking about being a doctor, but I didn't do well in chemistry in high school. I was thinking about being a preacher, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, but. Uh, I loved writing. I love speaking. I love uh, uh, the law. I love getting in, and I love helping people. I, and, and for 30 years, I was a nonprofit lawyer. I ran an organization that we got money that would allow us to represent people for free. And I represented people for free. People would come to me with uh, saying, hey, I can't afford to fight back, but uh, they've done me wrong here, and I need help. And I was mm-hmm. delighted to help them. But for 30 years, I did it. And it was it was the most rewarding thing to be able to, you know, for for a lawyer, you know, just you understand this stuff. For most people, it's all a mystery, but and to be able to demystify it, and to be able to go in front of a federal judge, and argue on behalf of uh, ordinary people who are supposed to be the beneficiaries of our law and are getting uh, frankly mistreated under it, it was a it was a great blessing. Which brings to mind the whole concept of the Equal Access to Justice Act and how that has worked against proper management of the land. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Congress wrote it recognizing what I just said. That is, people cannot afford to fight back against the government. And so they need a lawyer. And so if they have to spend money on a lawyer, the Congress said... They need to be able to come back into court and say, hey, I beat the government, but it cost me $10,000. It cost me $100,000. I ought to get, I ought to be paid for that. And so that's the way the law was written. Uh, unfortunately, the only people who have been enriched under the Equal Access to Justice Act is all these big environmental groups that don't represent individuals. They just represent a cause. You never see anybody with an environmental group going into court and filing a lawsuit saying, hey, I got hurt by this. It's, oh, I don't want the lands managed that way because I'm interested. Well, my old friend Reeves Brown in Colorado had an expression, the difference between interested in being affected is uh, a chicken might be interested in what you have for breakfast, but the pig is affected. (laughs) Yeah, the pig gave its life. Uh, I don't think we can conclude this conversation, and just so you know, we have four minutes left, without talking about one of the black eyes in the entire BLM, something that I've spent a ton of time on, 
and that is now somewhere around 150,000 animals that eat feed every single day without a purpose. Obviously, I'm talking about the feral horses. How did you try to get a handle on that as a director of the BLM? Uh, well, uh, frankly, uh, Trent, and I agree with you, and I was there at the beginning. I, I worked for Cliff Hansen when the, the whole wild horse uh, thing started and the law was passed. So I've seen this thing at the beginning. And when I got in at the BLM, there were 75,000 wild horse and barrels on the public lands. Uh, they're growing at a, a 15% rate every year. And I think uh, there are about 85,000 of them now or more, maybe approaching 90,000. Congress tied our hands uh, and uh, said there's only certain things you could do. And when we did those things that Congress said we could do, which is round them up, uh, set them out for adoption, uh, try to uh, uh, apply uh, uh, medical treatments such that they weren't producing as much as they uh, as they had been, uh, uh, then the, the crazies would uh, take film footage and go on the internet and harass uh, BLM people simply do, trying to do their job. My experience with BLM people in the field is they really care for these animals. They want to do the right thing, but at the same time, they understand that they're killing the land. Uh, the, one of the first reports I got when I arrived there in July 2015 was a thick report to BLM done, and the bottom line is that we are destroying public land, that some land will never recover. And for me, you know, I'm sort of technically, uh, I'm not real technologically uh, knowledgeable, but I always thought, hey, we can do anything with enough fertilizer, enough water, enough uh, seed, blah, 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 enough time. We can save anything. And But their conclusion was some of the land will never come back because it's been so destroyed. And it's it's bad for indigenous species. It's bad for endangered species. It's bad for humans. It's really a taking of private property. When uh, when the forage that we need is taken, when the waters that we created, water supplies we created, ranchers created, is taken, that's a that's a, a, a theft of private property. And yet Congress doesn't have the stomach to do the right thing, get rid of these uh, these critters. Yeah, we sure. I guess there some of them ought to be out out there. Uh, but if you care about the public lands, then uh, then you got to do something about it. And, of course, what the crazies say is, oh, oh, the real way to uh, take care of the land is get rid of all the cattle and sheep, uh, get rid of all the livestock. Well, that's not the problem because the problem is these wild horse and burros, and I've been on the lands that they've destroyed, and it's taken uh, decades to get us here, and uh, uh, it's going to take us a while to get back, but Congress has got to get the stomach to do the right thing. Just to give an example, I mentioned Hank Vogler joins me every week. He's got a horse management area that he runs sheep on, and that horse management area said that could handle 275 horses with proper care. They are currently, they've already taken twice, 2,000 out of this area. So there was 6,000 at one point in time because there's still 2,000 left in an area that said 267 was the proper number. That's the kind of example right. we have. And you were talking about 85,000 head. That's what's still on the federal land. That doesn't include the private horses that have gone through the long-term and now in long-term facilities out paying ranchers to take care of it. i got a, a friend I know, not a friend, a person I know of in Nebraska who just sold his cows, and the government, BLM's paying him to warehouse these horses. 
William Perry Pan. Yeah, we're we, spending, we're go spending ahead, 50, million, $50 million dollars a year to do it. We've identified a lot of problems. We need to continue to seek solutions, but the one overriding solution that is I'm repetitive about, but it comes back to the Constitution, the county sheriff, and everything local is the best way to go. That's the Founding Fathers method, and it's still our method today. William Perry, Penley, Trent Lewis, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a roll route. Once again, I want to remind you that Certified Piedmontese Creating Opportunity for Cattlemen. Get more details about your involvement in supplying the Certified Piedmontese Beef at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Once again, that's LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Certified Piedmontese.